Our next speaker is Brian Tse. He is a policy affiliate with the Center for the Governance of AI at the University of Oxford. He's also a senior advisor at the Partnership on AI and the author of the Chinese translation of the OpenAI Charter. His research focuses on international cooperation for safe and beneficial development of advanced AI, and he's been invited to present at both DeepMind and the Asilomar Conference on Beneficial AI. Previously, Brian worked at J.P. Morgan and a multi-billion-dollar global private equity firm, which specialized in, on East Asia. He studied at Harvard University, Tsinghua University, and the U University of Hong Kong. Excuse me. Brian was a member of the World Economic Forum's Global Shapers Community, and today he primarily works on AI strategy as it relates to global coordination at the Center for Long-Term Priorities. If you have questions for Brian, you can submit them via the Bizabo app. And for now, please join me in welcoming to the stage to speak about improving coordination with China to reduce AI risks, Brian Tay. It has been seven decades since a nuclear weapon has been detonated. For almost four decades, parents everywhere have not needed to worry about their children dying from smallpox. The ozone layer, far from being depleted to the extent once is feared, is expected to recover in three decades. These events, or non-events, are among the greatest achievements by humanity. These achievements would not have occurred without international cooperation from a multitude of different countries. They thus serve as a reminder that international cooperation can benefit every country and every person living in every country. Together, we can achieve even more. In the next few decades, AI is poised to be one of the most transformative technologies. In the Chinese language, there is a word, which is composed of two characters, one meaning danger, another opportunity, with both of them being presented at a time of critical juncture. With AI, we must cease to minimize dangers and captured upsides. Ensuring that there is robust global coordination between stakeholders around the world, especially those in China and the West, is critical in achieving this endeavor. So far, the idea for national competition for technological and military superiority has dominated the public narrative. When people talk about China and AI, the country's ambition to become the leader in AI by 2030 is always invoked. In contrast, there is very little attention paid to the call from the country on international collaboration in security, ethics, and governance of AI, which are areas of mutual interest. I believe it is a mistake to think that we can either have international cooperation or international competition. Today, some believe that China-U.S. relations can be described as strategic adversaries. I believe we need new strategic concepts to capture the incentive to compete as well as the need to cooperate. Joseph Knight, well known for coining the phrase soft power, has suggested that we use cooperative rivalry as an idea to describe the relationship. Graham Allison, the author of Destined for War, has proposed the idea of cooperation, allowing for the coexistence of competition and cooperation at the same time. So a deliberate effort to move the world towards greater coordination, or at least cooperation, is urgently needed. In the rest of my talk, I'm going to talk about three promising areas of common ground for coordination. 
These are risks from accidents, misuse, and raising dynamics of AI development. For each of these risks, I'm going to talk about their importance, feasibility for coordination, and leave you with some recommendations. And last start with risk from accidents. As deployment of AI systems have become more commonplace, the number of accidents related to AI have also increased. For example, on May 6, 2010, the Dow Jones Industrial Average experienced a sudden crash of trillion dollars, and that was known as flash crash. It was partly caused by a use of a high-frequency trading algorithm, and the impact was immediately spread to other financial markets around the world. Now, as the world becomes increasingly interdependent, as is the case with financial markets, local events have global consequences, which demand global solutions. The participation of Baidu in the Panosian AI provides an encouraging case study of global collaboration. In the press release last year, Baidu said that the safety and reliability of AI systems is critical to their mission and was a major motivation for them to join the consortium. The company singled out autonomous vehicle safety as an issue of particular importance. Looking at other dual-use technologies for inspiration, there seems to be coordination between China and the U.S. on nuclear security. One example is the Chinese Nuclear Technology Center in Beijing, which is by far the most extensive nuclear program receiving direct funding from both the U.S. and Chinese governments. It focuses on building a robust nuclear security architecture for the common security. A vital feature of this partnership is the intense focus on technical exchange, as well as the reduction of risk from accidents. It is noteworthy that all of the Chinese AI ethical principles so far have emphasized the need to ensure the safety and reliability of AI systems. In particular, the Beijing AI principles and the one from Tencent Research Institute have highlighted the risk of AGI systems, calling for preconditionary concerns. With this shared understanding of the risk from accidents, I believe Chinese and international stakeholders can collaborate through the following ways. First, researchers can collaborate at the increasingly popular AI safety workshops at some of the major machine learning conferences. Second, there are efforts such as the AI safety group walls coming out from DeepMind, which allow labs and researchers to measure and benchmark the safety properties of reinforcement learning agents. Third, international bodies such as ISO are encouraged to continue their effort in technical standard setting, especially around the reliability of machine learning systems. Lastly, multi-stakeholder alliances such as the Partnership AI can facilitate some of these discussions on best practices, especially through the Safety Critical AI Working Group. Now, even if we can mitigate the unintended consequences of AI systems, there is still a possibility that you will be misused. For example, early this year, OpenAI decided not to release the trained model of GPT-2, which is a record-setting language learning model. OpenAI said it concerns that it might be misused to impersonate humans, create misleading news articles, or trick victims into revealing their personal information. This motivates a case for global coordination because malicious actors from anywhere could have gained access to the technology and deploy them in other parts of the world. 
in the field of cybersecurity, there was a relevant case study of a global response to security incidents. In 1989, one of the first computer worms, known as Wank, attacked a major American company. The incident prompted the creation of an international body called FIRST to facilitate information sharing and enable more effective response to future security incidents. The organization FIRST has been one of the major institutions in the field, and currently less 10 American and 8 Chinese members, uh, including companies and public institutions. Another source of optimism is growing research field of FXR examples. These are small input samples that have been moderated slightly in a way that causes the machine learning classifier to misclassify it. Now, these FXR examples pose security concerns because they could be used to attack a machine learning system without the attacker having access to the underlying model. Fortunately, many of the leading AI labs around the world are already working hard on this problem. For example, in NIPS 2017, Google Brain organized a competition on this research topic. And the team from Tsinghua University won the first place in both the attack and defense tracks of the competition. Similar to the risk from accidents, many of the Chinese AI ethical principles have included concern of the misused risk of AI systems. One promising starting point of coordination between Chinese and foreign stakeholders, especially the AI labs, is publication norms. So after the release of OpenAI's GPT-2 model and the policy, the Publishing AI organized a seminar to discuss the topic of research openness. There was no immediate consensus to whether the AI community should restrict research openness due to such concerns. However, they did agree that if the AI community moves to that direction, then the review parameters and the norms should be standardized across the AI community. And presumably, this should be done across the global AI community for it to be most effective. The third type of risk that I'm going to talk about is the risk from racing dynamics in AI development. Under competitive pressure, AI labs might put aside safety concerns in order to stay ahead in the competition. To illustrate this point, there was a fatal self-driving car crash in 2018 by Uber. When the crash happened, commentators initially thought that the incredibly brittle fission systems was a culprit. However, later investigations showed that the victim was detected early enough for the emergency braking system to work and could have prevented the crash. So what happened? It turned out that the emergency braking system was turned off intentionally by the engineers because the engineers were afraid that the overly sensitive braking system would make them look bad as compared to their competitors. So this type of trade-off between safety and other considerations seems to be very concerning, especially if you believe that AI system would be increasingly powerful. This problem is going to be even higher stick in the international security context, and we should seek to draw lessons from historical analogs. For example, the report technology led by Richard Danzig discusses the norm of no first use in its contribution to the strategic stability during the nuclear era. Notably, China was the first nuclear weapon state to adopt such a policy back in 1964. With varying degrees of success, other nations have also used the norm to moderate the proliferation and use of various military technologies, including binding lasers, land mouse, and weapons in the outer space. 
Now, with AI as a general purpose technology, there is a further challenge of verification. How do you ensure that the certain AI technologies that one is committed in not using can be specified and verified? And relatedly, the Chinese nuclear posture has been described as a defense-oriented one. Now, the question with AI is, is it technically feasible for parties to differentially improve defensive capabilities rather than offensive capabilities, thereby stabilizing the competitive dynamics? I believe these are still open questions. Ultimately, constructive coordination depends on the common knowledge that there is this shared risk of a race to the bottom on AI safety. And I'm encouraged to see that there is increasing attention paid to the problem on both sides of the Pacific. So from China, for example, Madam Fu Ying, who is a vice chairperson of the Foreign Affairs Committee and an influential diplomat, has said that Chinese technologists and policymakers agree that there is a threat of AI to humankind. At the World Peace Forum, she further emphasized that the Chinese believe we should cooperate to prevent such a threat preemptively. There is also the Beijing Eye Principles, which in my view is the most significant one coming out from China so far, also highlight the need to avoid a malicious AI race. And this principle has gained support from some of the major academic and industry institutions in the country. From my understanding, the discussions around I saw my AI principles, the book Superintelligence by Nick Bostrom, and warnings from Stephen Hawking and other thinkers have made a meaningful influence on the thinking in China. Now, building common knowledge between parties is possible, as illustrated by the Thucydides Trap. Coined by the scholar Graham Allison, Thucydides Trap describes the idea that the rivalry between an established power and a rising power often result in conflict. And this thesis has captured the attention of leaders in both Washington, D.C. and Beijing. In 2013, President Xi Jinping told a group of Western visitors that we should cooperate to escape from such a Thucydides trap. In parallel, I think it is important for leaders in Silicon Valley, if not Washington, D.C., and Beijing to recognize that there is this collective action problem of an AI race to the precipice, or what I might call the Bostrom trap. With this shared understanding, I believe the world can move into several directions. First, there are great initiatives such as the ISOMA AI principles, which commit many of the signatories to the principle of arms race avoidance. Expanding the breadth and depth of such a dialogue, especially between Chinese and Western stakeholders, will be critical in stabilizing the expectations of each other's belief and fostering mutual trust. Second, AI safety research collaborations can be initiated between labs across the border. For example, labs could collaborate on some of the topics laid out in the seminal paper, Concrete Problems of AI Safety, which was itself a joint effort of multiple institutions. Lastly, which is also the most ambitious one, is that leading AI labs could consider adopting policy in OpenAI Charter. The charter described that if there is a safety-concerned, fellow-aligned AGI project that comes close to developing such technology than OpenAI, then OpenAI would stop competing and start assisting with this project. Now, this policy is an incredible public commitment as well as a concrete mechanism in trying to reduce this undesirable racing dynamics. 
Now, through the talk, I have not addressed many of the complications involved in such an endeavor. There are considerations such as industrial espionage, civil military fusion, and impact on civil liberties. I believe each of those topics deserve a nuanced, balanced, and probably separate discussions, given that I will not be able to do a proper justice to these topics in a short presentation like this one. That said, on the broader challenge of overcoming political tension, I would like to share with you a story. The Cuban Missile Crisis was believed by some to have a one in three chance of resulting in a nuclear war between the US and Soviet Union. After the crisis, President J.F. Kennedy was in a desperate search for a better way forward. Before he was assassinated in one of his most significant speeches about the international order, he proposed the strategic concept of a world safe for diversity. In that world, the US and Soviet Union can compete rigorously, but only peacefully to demonstrate whose value and system of governance can best serve the needs of their citizens. This eventually evolved to what became Detente, a doctrine which contributed to the easing tension during the Cold War. In the history of Chinese thought, there is a similar doctrine, which is harmony in diversity, or Tong in Mandarin. So the world must learn to cooperate to tackle our common challenges while accepting our differences. If we're able to achieve this during the Cold War, I believe we should be more hopeful about our collective future in the 21st century. Thank you. All right, uh, again, Questions for Brian, you can submit them through the Bizabo app. We've got a few uh, that are coming in so far. So I think last time I saw you was just under a year ago, right? And I think yeah. we were in London, if in I remember London. correctly. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think things have gone over the last year? Are we on a, I think if you were uh, to take a, a callback from Philip Tetlock's talk this morning, an attentive mm. reader of the New York Times, right. <laughs> you would probably think things are going very badly in U.S.-China relations. Do you think it's as bad as all that, or maybe the news is hyping it up to be worse than it is? What's your perspective? It is indeed worrying. I think the perspective that I will add to the discussions are two. One, we're not only thinking about coordination between governments. So in my talk, I was not focusing on state-to-state -state cooperation. I mentioned a lot of potential areas of collaboration between AI labs, researchers, academia and civil society. And I believe that the incentive and the willingness to cooperate between those stakeholders are still there. That's one thing. The second thing is that my presentation is meant to be forward-looking and aspirational, which means that I'm not, not looking at the current news. Uh, I'm thinking in five to 10 years or even 20 years, if AI systems become increasingly advanced and powerful, which means that there are potential tremendous upside for everyone to share, as well as potential downside that everyone should be worried about. The incentive to cooperate, or at least, well, co-competition, co-compete, I don't, I don't know how to <laughs> use that verb, uh, should be there. Um, so I guess for people who are interested, uh, you'll be Interesting to think about game theory such as the hunt game rather than prisoner dynamic. I wouldn't go into the technical detail there, but the basic idea is that if there are tremendous upside and 
also shared downside for parties, then it is more likely that parties would be willing to cooperate instead of just compete. A question from the audience. Uh, I don't know if you'll have an opinion on this, but do you think that there's any way to tell right now whether the U.S. or the West, however you prefer to think about that, or China have an edge in developing AI? And do you think that there are political or cultural differences that contribute to that if you think such a difference exists? Mm. Just in terms of the potential for developing capable systems, mm-hmm. we're not talking about safety and ethics, right? Well, you can interpret the question. Okay, <laughs> sure. Um, I will focus on capabilities. So I think currently it is quite clear to me that China is nowhere near the U.S. in terms of the overall AI capabilities. And people like Jeff Ding and others have, have argued at length. Um, I guess I would add a few things there. One is that if you look at some of the leadership structure and some of the recent development at Chinese AI companies, for example, Tencent, it seems like the incentive to develop really advanced and interesting theoretical research are not really there. Their AI companies are much more focused on products and like near-term profits. And one example that I would give is that there was this Tencent AI lab director, Zhang Tong, uh, who was quite interested in like AGI-relevant ideas. And he worked at Tencent for like two years or so. And he decided to leave the AI lab early this year. And he is now going back to academia. He's joining Hong Kong University of Science and Technology as a faculty member. And even though he didn't mention the reason explicitly, but you know, there are a lot of discussions around this event. And people basically just think that the incentive to develop really long-term interesting research is not there at Tencent and honestly at many of the AI companies. Uh, now, another point I will raise is that if you look at some of the US AI labs, for example, FAIR or like Google Brain, the typical structure is that you have like two research scientists and then one research engineer uh, as a team. Obviously, the ratio uh, could ch- uh, the, the ratio could be the same, but the number could be greater. But the ratio of research scientists and research engineers uh, is the opposite for Chinese air companies. So you have like one research scientist and like two research engineers, which kind of implies that they are much more focused on, you know, putting their research ideas into practice into applications. Um, so I'm addressing this question mostly in the perspective of like long-term advanced AI system, which is probably the uh, concern for this audience. So that's a kind of surprising answer to me because I think the, at least the naive, you know, again, like attentive New York Times reader uh, point of view would be at least at the government level, Chinese government is way better than the U.S. government in terms of long-term planning and priority mm. setting. So right. if you agree with that, how do you think that translates into a scenario where the Chinese mega companies are maybe not doing as much of that as the American companies? Sure. I think the Chinese model is still interesting from a kind of long-term mega project perspective, but there are variances in terms of what type of mega project you are talking about. If you're talking about Railways, if you're talking about bridges, infrastructure in general, like the Chinese government is incredibly good at that. Like, you can just build tons of buildings and bridges in like days. 
And I think that it takes US or UK and many other governments, like maybe years. Um, but but they, are, they are engineering projects, right? We're not talking about Nobel Prize winning type of projects. And I think that's really a difference. Uh, there are some analysis on like where the top AI machine learning researchers are working, and all of them are in the US. But if you look at, you know, pretty good researchers, but they are not top, like potentially Ellen uh, Turing Prize winning researchers, then yeah, China has a lot of them. So, so I think we have to be very nuanced in terms of looking at what types of you know, scientific projects we're talking about, whether it's mostly about scientific breakthroughs or like engineering challenges. Fascinating. A bunch of questions are coming in uh, via the app. We probably won't get to them all. Are you going to be available for office hours? Yes, I will be. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so I'm going to do my best to get through as many as I can here. Um, one question is about kind of the general fracturing of the world that seems to be happening or bifurcation of the world into sort of mm. Chinese sphere of influence, which might just be China. Uh, maybe it's a few you know, surrounding countries and then kind of the rest of the world. Obviously, we're seeing uh, Chinese technology companies getting banned from American networks, so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Yeah. So do you think that that is going to become a huge problem? Is it already a huge problem or is it not really that big of a problem after all? Well, it's definitely concerning. And the lens that I am concerned is the impact on the international research community. So what I was alluding to was this pretty international and like um, interconnected community of research labs and, and machine learning researchers. And I believe that would still be a good mechanism for coordinating on like different AI policy issues. You can think that they would be great at you know, raising concerns through open letter initiative, they can collaborate through workshops and so on. But this larger political dynamic might affect them in terms of, well, Chinese scientists not being able to travel in the US, they just can't get visa, right? And, and maybe in the future, US scientists might also be worried about getting associated with, with Chinese mm -hmm. individuals. Um, so, 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 so the thing that I'm worried about is really this channel of communication between the research communities. Um, hopefully yeah. that would change. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of anticipating yeah. the next question, which is the idea that uh, individuals are maybe starting to become concerned that if they appear kind of on either side yeah. potentially of the of the divide, that the, if they appear too kind of friendly, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Chinese scientists in America or right. you know, American in China, whatever, uh, that they'll then be viewed very suspiciously and mm. may, might suffer consequences sure. from that. So do you think that is already a problem? And if so, then what can individuals do to try to you know, bridge this divide without, or at least with, while minimizing the consequences that they might suffer for trying to do so? I feel like it's hard to give a general answer to this. It probably depends a lot on the career trajectories of individuals and what are their constraints. Um, so I guess I could leave that to office hours. <laughs> All right. Um, a question about the Communist Party. So mm. the, the questioner sort of assumes that the Communist Party has kind of final say on everything that's going on in China. I wonder if you think that's true. And then if that is true, how do we work within that constraint? Mm. Um, in terms of international collaboration, 
and what might be possible. Yeah, well, in the I mean, space. is there is there any way to make progress without the buy-in of the of the Communist Party, or do you need it? And if you need it, how do you get it? Yeah, I think one assumption there is that it is bad to have involvement from the government. That's why we need to navigate the space and try to avoid that. I think I think that's the assumption of the question, and I can just smell the assumption when people ask this type of questions. And I think it is not necessarily true. Like I think there are ways that the Chinese government can be involved meaningfully. Uh, we just need to be thinking about what are those spaces. Again, one promising channel would be basically AI safety conferences through academia. If Tsinghua University is interested in organizing an AI safety conference with potential buy-in from the government, I think that's fine. Um, and, and I think it's still a venue for research collaboration um, and the world just needs to think about what are the mutual interests uh, and, and what are the, <laughs> honestly, the magnitude of stakes that we are, we are dealing with. Yeah, at a minimum, the Communist Party has at least demonstrated awareness of these issues and, and seems to be thinking about them. Um, I think we're a little bit over time already, so maybe just one last question. Do you see that this... Uh, competition, cooperation, uh, dynamic, and potentially kind of race uh, to the bottom or race to the precipice dynamics. Yeah. Do those get repeated across a lot of things in your view? There's AI. Uh, obviously, there, you know, in a, an earlier era, there was nuclear mm -hmm. uh, rivalry that yeah. hasn't necessarily gone away, obviously, either. Uh, but then we also saw this news item of the first CRISPR-edited right. babies being born, and that was a, a source of a lot of uh, concern mm -hmm. for people that thought, man, sure. we're kind of losing control of this technology. So yeah. how many of those, uh, what's the portfolio of these sorts of potential race dynamic problems? Yeah, yeah. I think these are relevant historical analogs, but what makes AI a little bit different is that AI is really a general purpose technology or like omni-use technology, as people say it, and it's used across the economy is kind of a question of political economy and not just international security. It's not just a nuclear weapon, a space weapon that could be used in civilian uses or military purposes, but like it's really everywhere, right? It's, it's more like electricity in the Industrial Revolution. Um, so one thing that I want to add there, which is related to the previous question, is the Chinese response to the gene editing uh, incident from the scientists in Shenzhen. So many people condemned the behaviors of the scientists because it was a kind of unilateral behavior, right? Like he didn't get enough regulatory compliance and like he was just doing it at a small lab uh, in the city. But what you can see there is that there is this uniformity of an international response on the incident and the responses from you know, US scientists and UK scientists and Chinese scientists are basically the same. Um, you know, there, there was a open letter on the paper, on the journal Nature, uh, with hundreds of hundreds of Chinese scientists saying that this behavior is unacceptable. And what followed was that the Chinese government wanted to have a better regulation of gene editing and development ethics. So I think this illustrates that we can actually have a much more global dialogue of ethics and safety around science and technology. 
And in some cases, the Chinese government is interested in joining this global dialogue and takes action within its domestic policy. Well, that's a very hopeful uh, and I think appropriate note to end on. So how about a round of applause for Brian Tay? Thank you very much. Thank you, Find him at Office Hours for more.